You know, I'm learning. Uh, I'm learning something about worship, and yesterday I was sitting and I was listening to uh, my brother-in-law have a conversation with my son Caden regarding volleyball, and the conversation went something. Caden was talking about how hard it is to control his emotions during the game. And so I'm sitting here thinking about that. We're not stand, sitting, standing here thinking about that. And my brother-in-law said to him, the great ones are, <laughs> I can't even say this, the great ones are able to control their emotions. And here I stand. And the Lord's revealing to me, apparently when it comes to worship, I'm not one of the great ones because I can't control myself. Like I'm standing over there watching, watching these people that are so gifted by God declare these magnificent truths with their voices. I can't, I, can't, I can't sing along, I just have to stand and listen. And then the next moment I wanna jump up and run up on stage and declare the word of God and then Wendy lays her hand on my back and she says God is gonna move mightily and I like crumble in my seat. It's like holy cow Lord, let's just take it easy because the word still has to be declared. So, Lord, help me to be a great one emotionally and control myself so that the Word of God can be um, sufficiently declared today. You, you can turn right now to Luke chapter 24, as Sam just read, and we're going to be spending our entire time, in, well, toward the end we'll take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, but right now we're going to be in Luke 24. But as I think about emotional reactions to things, I wonder, I wonder what it was like for Jesus as he started his ministry. I love the way, I love the way The Chosen, I'm, I'm supposing that many of you have watched that series, The Chosen. I love the way they portray Jesus as he is about to perform his first miracle. And he's standing over these big jugs of water, preparing to call on the Lord, his Father, empower him to turn this into wine, knowing that at that moment, it's the first step toward outing himself as our Savior as he performs his first miracle. From then until the cross, I wonder what Jesus' emotional reactions and responses were, how he revealed himself emotionally. We don't see a ton in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that speak about it being an exciting time full of laughter and joy and happiness. We don't see much of that, but what we do see, what I believe is Jesus express, expressing this heavily weighted emotional urgency as he leads up to the cross. Wrangling with religious leaders, suffering starvation as he fasts and he prays to God the Father, resisting every temptation that you and I did, struggling with, probably not, able to control himself with patience as he deals with thick-headed disciples like you and me. Healing, being dirty, declaring truth, feeding, calming waters, walking on water. Everything, everything he did in his three-year ministry with the thought that the battle is coming at the cross. 
every moment of every day, I am supposing that Jesus' mind was completely fixed on, this is what's coming. This is what's coming as he lived life here on earth. With the disciples fighting the devil, religious leaders, even the weakness of his own human flesh. Isaiah 53, if we can go back to Jasper's sermon last week, we know that Jesus knew what it was like to experience being despised, being rejected. How many of you can relate to him? He was a man of sorrows. He was one that was acquainted with grief. Men hid their faces from him, despising him. And when he deserved every ounce of esteem that mankind could bring to him, he received none. It's a weighted urgency knowing that the battle is coming. And then at the cross, he's looking forward to the cross, knowing that in Hebrews chapter 12 it says, for the joy set before me, the joy is coming at the cross where he's going to do what is necessary to bring those he loves into relationship with him and God the Father. He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. He was esteemed stricken. This is where it gets hard, really, really hard for me. He was smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord God, his Father, laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He experienced unrighteous judgment. He was stricken for our transgressions. Imagine Jesus Christ on the cross. Imagine him walking to the cross for three years to take upon himself every ounce of sin that the flesh of billions and billions of individuals, mankind, Every one of those placed on top of him by the will of the Father. Jesus saying, God, if there is any other way, Father, if there's any other way, please take this from me, yet not my will but yours be done. He knew in the moment that he would be placed on the cross and everything would be placed on us, that in the moment where he needed God the Father the absolute most, crying out to him, God the Father, the one he shares the most personal relationship with, turns his back and ignores the pleas of his son. Now, if you're a parent, you can understand that. How hard would that be? The moment where your child is crying out in his or her most desperate situation and you refuse to help. I can't imagine the grief that Jesus experienced in the moment, I can't imagine the agony that the Father experienced in the moment. And so think now, emotionally speaking, Jesus living his three-year ministry leading up to this, always in the forefront of his mind. I believe Jesus probably laughed and had some fun with the disciples, but I believe, I believe deep in the core of who he was was this fighting the thoughts of the agony that was about to come. Now suppose, suppose folks, that this is the end. Jesus is put to death. 
Love lost. The loving relationship that he has shared with God the Father for all eternity to no more be experienced. Cut off, God the Father is alone without Jesus. Love lost. Never being able to experience the loving relationship between those two again. Love lost for Jesus and God the Father to you and me. The ones that he suffered so terribly for, he is put to death to, no, to never be able to experience, because he's dead, the loving relationship that he so long desired to have with you and me. Can't do it. He's dead. Suppose the cross was the end. For you and me, suppose the cross was the end. And Paul says this, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if Christ had not been raised, so imagine he hadn't been raised, Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile. It's senseless for us to even have faith. And you are still in your sins. Because if Christ doesn't raise from the dead, you and I will suffer terribly on this earth. We will turn ourselves open completely to satisfy every desire of our flesh. Blacken ourselves with every sin that we are capable of going after because Christ didn't rise from the dead. What a terrible faith, place for us to be. Our faith would be futile. If in Christ you have hope in this life only, apart from Christ being raised, we are of all people, brothers and sisters in Christ, the most to be pitied. It would be like this literally speaking. Now look, it's really, really hard to liken Christ's death on the cross anything to it. it. I mean, you just can't. But here's the best we can do. Imagine you have found the one that you're going to marry. The engagement happens. You drop thousands of dollars and hours because you love this individual so much. The wedding day comes. The bride is standing at the back of the aisle, walking forward to find out that her husband is not to be, is not able to make it because he is gone forever, killed in a car accident on the way. That's the closest we can come to understanding the grief that, that it would exist between God the Father and the Son. What a terrible, terrible place we would be if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But I, I suppose you're like, hey, this is Good Friday stuff, Todd. We're here to celebrate our risen Savior, and that's right. That's right. But unless you can understand the complexities and the depth of the pain and the suffering that Jesus and God the Father went through, we can't understand the magnificence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He didn't remain dead. He is risen. Look at, me, look at uh, Luke chapter 24 now. We're going to look at the first, uh, let's see, seven verses. He did not remain dead, but on the first day, Sunday, the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, speaking of a group of women that we'll see here in a moment, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. 
And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and what? On the third day rise. He did not remain dead, church. He did not remain dead, folks. He is risen and he is alive today and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. So now think about it, the heaviness of Jesus' experience heading up to the cross, and now he is resurrected. Imagine the reunion that he experienced between himself and God the Father. Imagine the weight, the heaviness, the experience of the cross, and then having the Father turn his back on him, and now they are standing face to face. What? They're... they're cannot be a better reunion than that one, the one that happened between God the Father and Jesus. Love completely experienced. It's a love explosion with the Father and also with us. Because now Jesus, based on what he did from the cross, and now he is alive and risen, 40 days from this declaration right here, Jesus will fulfill with God the Father the promise that he made to his people. I am no longer just going to walk beside you. The plan of God the Father in Jesus was to, to pour themselves, to pour himself into us by the power of the Holy Spirit, to no longer, no longer walk beside us, but to fill us with his Holy Spirit and to mark us and claim us as his own. own. This is the truth of the cross this is the magnificence of the cross. It goes from a heavily weighted urgency that Jesus experienced to this uncontainable, joyous urgency. Now it's time to get after it, declaring the truth of what has happened to Jesus, and he is now alive. And he takes that message and he transfers it to you and me. Now I suppose there are some that are sitting among us right now that are like, that's outlandishly hard to believe. You're telling me that God himself took on the form of mankind. He walked this earth never to commit a sin, experiencing every temptation that the sum total of all mankind experiences. He experienced that. Never sinned, never acted on one of, one of those temptations once. He went 40 days without eating. He suffered tremendously at the cross, and then he raised himself from the dead. I will agree with you, that is an outlandishly hard story to believe. But I stand before you today and I say it's true. It's absolutely true. Outlandishly hard to believe. So here's what I want you to start thinking. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with the Lord right now. Maybe you've been exposed to it all your life. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing it. And all your life, if you're one of those, it's been, yep, that's, that's so hard to believe. I can't believe it. There are, things, there are things about God that I can't reconcile, I can't make sense of. There are these mysteries. Life has taught me that th God is this way, and I can't accept that. I want you to start thinking, why is it so hard for you to believe? If, you are, if this is your first time and you've never heard this before, I want you to start thinking about why can't I believe in this? 
What are the things that are blocking your vision to be able to see who God is, who Jesus is, and what he's done for us? But look, you're not alone. You are not alone. The disciples themselves, the ones that walked with Jesus for three years, saw him do everything he did, perform the miracles he did, listen to the truths he spoke to them. Even when he appears to them in a locked room, in a, door, in, in a room behind a door that was locked, he, boom, miracle, miraculously appears, reveals himself to them, they still couldn't believe. Why do you think the disciples couldn't believe? Why do you think you can't believe? So look at this. Look at verse 5 now. You're not alone in your unbelief because the disciples couldn't believe either. either. Verse 5 says, And as they, as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Oh, sorry, I'm backing up to verse 5. Um, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not there but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words and returning to the tomb. So you see these ladies that went to the tomb. They saw that Jesus wasn't there. They heard this professed. Even in the according, according to the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus himself on the way back um, revealed himself to Mary. So you have these ladies. They're running back. They remembered the words, verse 9, and returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And look at what the apostles' response is. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. We see Peter, he rose, and he ran to the tomb, stopped and looked in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Marveling. Doesn't say he believed. He was marveling. What we know is when the lady showed up and said, he is alive, idle tale, they refused to believe. Pause for a moment. Ladies, you're like, yeah, that's what my, that's what my husband does. He won't believe anything I say. These ladies saw Jesus, and they come charging back, and with great excitement, Jesus is alive. And the men in their lives said, I'm not going to believe that. Just not going to believe it. Outlandishly hard to believe. Nope. Why do you think they couldn't believe? Think of the things they saw when they walked with him. Think of the truths they heard Jesus speak about who he was. There's something very critical that we're going to be looking at here in just a moment that blocked their minds from being able to believe that Jesus could raise himself, would raise himself from the dead. They couldn't believe it. I want to remind you again to be thinking, why don't you believe? What would it take for you to believe in the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Maybe you're like, you know what? If God, I, I've had this in my life. I would love to see him remove that. I want to see a miracle. If he would perform a miracle, then I would believe. If he would do this for me, I would believe. You know what? Maybe you're one that would say, if he actually showed up here today and stood on the stage, he says, here I am. He opens his hands. You see the marks on his hands. You see the marks on his feet. 
Maybe you're one of those that would be like, okay, if he shows himself, I will believe. Maybe you're one that would say, you know what, a miracle isn't enough, seeing him wouldn't be enough, so Jesus, invite me forward so I can touch you, I can touch your hands, I can see that you're flesh. I can put my fingers into your side so I can feel your flesh. Maybe you're like, okay, Jesus is here, seen his hands, I've touched his hands, miraculously shows up, let's sit down and have dinner together. Maybe sitting and eating with Jesus and listening to him would be enough for you, experiencing relationship with him. None of that worked with the disciples. The resurrection was an idle tale. I referred a bit about the doubting Thomas. John chapter 20 says that, that Thomas said this, unless I see Jesus and touch his hands, I will never believe. I will never believe. What will it take for you to believe today? This is the big question. What will it take for you to believe that Jesus is the gospel message? He died on the cross and he is alive today and stands ready to give of himself to you through his Holy Spirit if you will believe that he has risen from the dead. What will it take for you to believe? Seeing a miracle, it's not enough. That won't be enough. A miracle will happen and it will pass. The disciples saw miracle after miracle after miracle pass by. The moment Jesus is dead, they forget it all. That wasn't enough to prove to them that Jesus was alive. Look at verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened as though they saw a spirit. Verse 38. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you, why does doubt, why do doubts arise in your heart? The miraculous. Jesus is here. Boom. Why wouldn't they recognize him? It's so hard for us to sit here and think there is no way they wouldn't recognize Jesus, the one they walked with for three years. But he performs the miraculous. I'm here. They're startled. They're frightened. He says, peace be with you. And they still didn't believe it wasn't enough. If it wasn't enough for the disciples to see a miracle, it won't be enough for you. Seeing Jesus in the flesh wasn't enough for the disciples. Look at verse 39. Jesus says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Jesus miraculously shows up in the room. He shows them himself. I'm here, look at me, believe in me, wasn't enough for them. Touching Jesus in the flesh is not enough. It was not enough for the disciples, nor would it be enough for you. He says, touch me, touch me. And see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Verse 40 says, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Listen to this. A crazy passage. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. So what in the world does that mean? They still, they still disbelieved even though Jesus shows up miraculously, reveals himself to them, here I am. Look, it's me. Remember? Three years of relationship. And they still disbelieved for joy and marveling. What in the world does that mean, joy and marveling? 
Well, we have something we say when something is what? Too good to be true. It's too good to be true. Can't believe it. It is absolutely too good to be true that Jesus is alive right now. My mind can't reconcile it, and so I'm not going to believe it. But you know, in their hearts was churning like, but what if it is, but what if it is, but what if it is? They still disbelieved. They still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Too good to be true. Christ risen from the dead cannot be illustrated. How do we illustrate this? This is the seminal, miraculous act that Jesus himself raised himself from the dead. There's no other way to compare that. Isaiah 46.5 says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? God is one and only. There is no other like him. He is the great miracle performer. He is the Christ. He is the one who died and is now risen. And there is no way, nor will we ever make an attempt to, to compare anyone to him because he says of himself, there is no way to do this. God raised himself from the dead. Seeing was not enough for the disciples. Won't be enough for you. Touching Jesus was not enough. Here, let's give it another try, Jesus says. And he said to them, have you anything to eat? I'll prove to you that I'm not, a, I'm not just a spirit. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it. The disciples did not believe. They could not believe. What will it take for you to believe? I want you to write this down. This is what it will take for us to believe. A mind, a mind and a heart to receive all of who Jesus says he is. Your ability to believe is dependent on your ability to receive the truth of Jesus and what he has to say about who he is. Everything. Everything. The disciples could not believe that Jesus was risen. That was a portion of his truth that he spoke to them that they could not reconcile with what they knew. A mind and heart ready, excuse me, a mind and heart willing to receive all of who Jesus says he is. Look at verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything, key word, highlight it, underline it, circle it, everything written about me, everything that I have spoken about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, the Old Testament, must be fulfilled, everything. So Jesus is starting in this moment to declare the truth to them to bring back to remembrance the things that he had taught them. Verse 45 says, then, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That's what they couldn't believe. Verse 47 says, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name 
to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It's the revealed word of God. Everything it says about who Jesus is is what God uses to open the minds of man so that he can believe in who Jesus is. If you look back at the first 12 verses, the account of the women, he says, remember how I told you. Remember how I told you. Remember what I spoke to you. He's bringing back to memory while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. One of my favorite portions of all of Scripture is verses 13 to 35, and that's the account of the road to Emmaus. It's Sunday afternoon. You have these two disciples that are walking to Emmaus, probably going home, now believing that it's finished. The one they had believed in to be the Messiah, to be the Christ, is now dead. They can't reconcile it. Jesus does not disclose who he is, but he comes up next to them and he walks next to them. He says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, are you out of your mind? This would be like, and Jesus is like, no, I'm not out of my mind. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. Please understand that. Read the passage for yourself. But he walks up next to these two guys and he goes, what are you talking about? We're talking about Jesus, who was a prophet. He's gone. They're speaking of him in the past tense because they don't believe that he has risen. They're laying out for everything, for Jesus, everything about himself. This would be like on September 11th, or no, let's make it September 13th, 2000. You're a 27-year-old gamer sitting in your basement in Manhattan, so lost in your gaming, you walk out of your basement of your mother's house, and you see everyone running around going crazy, and you're like, what's going on? Why is everyone? It'd be like, man, where have you been? In your basement gaming? that you missed, that two planes flew into the trade centers and now they are gone? Jesus is like, all right, let's keep walking. He starts sharing with them the scriptures. Starts sharing with them the scriptures. He's gonna go further. They say, no, wait on, just stay here with us tonight, the two disciples said. So he does, he goes in, and the moment he breaks bread, no one knows why, but the moment he breaks bread, it's following, the, it's the following of the declaration of the scriptures from Moses on down that opened the eyes of those two to see that it was actually Jesus sitting in front of him. Yes, he opened his hands. He broke the bread. Maybe it was because they saw the scars on his hands. Maybe it was because of the way when he broke the bread and blessed it that they heard him speaking to God the Father as he prayed so often, too, when he was on earth alive but it came following the declaration of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. The lady says to the ladies at the tomb, remember how I told you. He's talking to these guys on the road to Emmaus. And then as soon as he reveals himself, he's gone, miraculously gone. These disciples turn around and they run back to let the disciples know that they have seen Jesus alive. Verse 44 to 48, and that's where we are right now. Jesus appears to the disciples. Boom, he shows up in a room. Now listen, this is kind of crazy. 
They're not believing. They're marveling, but they're not believing that this is actually Jesus. Can you imagine being the two disciples that saw Jesus? They're like chomping at the bit. Come on, guys. This is for real. This is for real. This is really Jesus. What are you doing? But it wasn't until Jesus opened their mind to understand the scriptures that they were able to believe. Why do you think it was so hard for the disciples to believe? And here's what it is. Their entire upbringing, the Jewish culture, everything they were taught, everything they believed did not include the death of the Messiah. They understood the scriptures with an incomplete thought. They believed that the Messiah was going to come back and reestablish Israel, throw Rome out, bring peace back to the land, and forever reign over them. That's what they thought. There was no concept in their mind of Jesus the Messiah dying. So when he died, they thought he wasn't the Messiah. Let's keep looking. Incomplete, culture-driven expectation of who the Christ would be and what he would do. That's why it was so hard for them to believe. So now, now let's turn it to us. What makes it so hard for you to believe? What are the things that come into your life and out of your life that make it hard for you to believe? How has your current cultural life experience hurt your ability to believe in who Jesus is? Because this is what it is. This is where it is. It's time to open your minds, people, to be able to receive the truth of who Jesus is. Maybe you've had family experiences, and you're like, the misery I've experienced over the course of my life, there is no way a loving God would permit anything like this to happen, so therefore, he must not be, or even if he is, he's an angry, mean God that he would permit me to walk through this stuff. So I'm, I'm choosing to not believe. I'm closing my mind off to him. You know what? The church I also know has been hurtful to people, sometimes teaching wrong doctrine, Sometimes not, sometimes not living above reproach as it should. Unity is not maintained. There's fighting. You're like, you know what? I don't want, if that's the family of God, I don't want anything to do with that. So I'm going to close my mind to the truth of who Jesus is because I don't want to be a part of that. Maybe you're looking around the world right now and you're saying Russia, Ukraine, a sovereign, all-powerful God could fix this. Why doesn't he? So once again, your mind goes back to he must not be loving. I don't want to be a part of a family that is led by a God that is not loving. I'm closing my mind. You know what? Maybe you've just had a really hard life experience. Maybe death has come into your life. Maybe extreme sickness, hard things. God, God wouldn't, he wouldn't let that happen. You are determining, you are determining who God is with limited vision. And you need God right now to open your mind to receive the truth of who he is. Here's a word in this moment to those who have loved ones. You're waiting and waiting and waiting on the Lord to open their mind to receive the truth of the scriptures. And I say to you, be patient. Be patient. The Lord is working on the hearts of those who are his and he will open their minds in accordance with the scriptures as he sees fit and in accordance with his will and his timing. And that's hard, isn't it? Why is it so hard for you to believe? 
What will it take? What will it take for you to believe? Telling you miracles won't do it. Jesus showing up, sitting at your table in the flesh won't do it. It will take you opening your mind and Jesus to penetrate your mind with the truth, spoken truth, written truth, the word of God, to receive all, all that he says he is. The scriptures go on to say, verse 49, Luke 24, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Hard to believe, isn't it? But it's the truth. 52 says, verse 52 says, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So here we go. Think about that heavily weighted urgency that Jesus experienced before the cross. Now he's alive. He is seated at the right hand. The, the, the most magnificent reunion has happened between God the Father and now Jesus with those that he loves. He is alive, sharing full-blown, loving, Christ-centered, godly relationship with those that are his. He disappears into the clouds. Uh, heavily weighted urgency to uncontainable joyous urgency and that should be you and me for what he has done for us and what he has in store for us. So what's your hang up today? What's your hang up today? For the unbeliever? For the one that chooses to not believe it, you really need to wrestle over what is your true hang up. I want you to bring that to the forefront of your mind right now. And you know what? If you have to fight to bring it there and you're like, I haven't visited that thought or that memory for decades and I refuse to do it, I want you to bring it right now. Let's go. Bring it right now. Forefront of your mind. Life's deepest hurts. I don't care what it is. Bring it. Start thinking about it. Maybe you're someone who has been exposed to this teaching all your life and you have decided, I want none of that. I am refusing to believe. You know what? God did this, so I'm not going to. Guess what you just did? You admitted you believe in God. And here's what I believe is going to happen to you. The Lord is going to take his Holy Spirit-driven sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and he's going he's to drive that into your heart. He's going to open you up to receive all that he is. Stop fighting. Stop fighting and let him in. As you bring these things, your hang-ups to the forefront of your mind, I'm going to ask you right now, that is absolutely insignificant because Christ took it upon himself on the cross and he dealt with it there. It is of zero importance to you, zero. This is the clear message of Jesus Christ right here. He deals with those kind of things and he says this, through the penning of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 15. 
He says this, for I delivered to you of first importance what I also received. This is the first importance, not your greatest hurts, not your greatest angers, not your greatest whatever. It is all gone at the cross. Paul delivers to us as of first importance what he received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, in accordance with the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures spoke of it, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive at the writing of this, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles, and last of all, Paul says, as to one who is untimely born, he appeared to me also. This is of first importance. Christ died for your greatest hurts. He died for your sickest sins. He died for whatever it is that plagues you and won't let you believe in who he is. He is removing it and he is saying, this is what's important and this is what I want you to focus on from now until forevermore. Jesus says, I died for you and I want you to receive the truth that I am alive for you and I am ready to give you of myself through the power of the Holy Spirit. Receive the Word of God, folks. I would love to talk to you about it. Man, the staff, the elders, those who are in Christ are standing ready to talk to you about how you can come to a place where you can receive the fullness of the Scriptures. He is risen, and He is ready to save your soul. Father in heaven, I'm so very, very thankful for these amazing, amazing truths. Lord, whatever it is right now that plagues us, whatever hang-ups we have right now, the things, Lord, that we have closed our minds off to receive from you, Lord, open the minds of the most hard-hearted, stubborn individual in this room. Lord, do an amazing and a mighty work Save the souls of each one. Lord, if there is someone right now that's just dealing with tremendous hurt, help them to see and know that you are alive and ready to come alongside them and help them with those things. Father, continue now to pour out your spirit on our church. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for what you say to us about who you are. And may we simply receive and believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Romans 8:11 says that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And there's a great 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 encouragement in knowing that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ alive in us bringing us to from death to life. It's why we sing. It's why we have great hope. Let's stand up together and let's finish this time of worship together.
was borrowed for three days. His body there would not remain. I got it.
risen. Indeed. Which means it is true. Which means there's this theme throughout all of Scripture that you've seen today that even from Jesus' mouth, I want you to believe. The book of Luke, Luke wrote it at the very beginning to Theophilus, and I've, I've created this perfect account of events so that you can be confident and believe these things are true. Belief. People ask Jesus, what is it, the works of the kingdom of the Father that we can be doing? And Jesus says, this is the work that God requires for all of mankind, that you believe on the one who he sent. You believe in me. And then Paul tells us in the book of Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And at the end, when Thomas was doubting, Jesus said, Thomas, you believe and you call me Lord because you have seen Blessed are those who believe and do not see. That is us. That is the world today. We take this message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is alive and salvation and forgiveness is available to everyone. This is why we rejoice because he is alive. He's alive. And the world can be saved through faith, through belief. Church, we're left here to take this message to our family and our friends. Take this day to rejoice and remember that our Savior is alive and you tell the world, you pray and you tell them this wonderful, beautiful message. He is alive. You are loved. Enjoy your day. Amen. Yes, thank you, Jesus.